Hello everyone, editor Justin here. Now you're probably thinking to yourself, man, this is a uh, this ain't Friday. This is this is Monday. Why is there already a new episode? Well, me and the boys have decided that this episode is uh quite too important to wait till Friday. Uh, as for this is our very first guest episode, um, starring Mr. Mike Klum, you know the man who made uh the Boogie Two Ninety Eight documentary. So yes, uh, this will be this week's episode. There won't be an episode Friday. However, if you are a subscriber to the YouTube channel, we will be uploading a new uh, episode of our series Shenanigans. In this one, we take turns cooking a dish, and uh, each of the other guys has to rate it, and uh, the best-tasting dish wins. So yeah, if you're an audio listener, I would uh, highly recommend checking out the YouTube channel. Don't want to miss that. Well, without further ado, let's get right into this episode. Pretty much, we tortured Mike for about 45 minutes. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Anti Think Tank. We're at episode 12, and I am always, as always, joined by my two co hosts, Ian and Ryan. But today we have a very, very special guest. Ladies and gentlemen, we have Mike Clum. What's going on, guys? It's the Think Tank podcast. I'm 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 happy to be on. What's going? On? You've uh, you've kind of hit uh, hit a stride recently. Uh, you went from like a relatively unknown character on the internet to now being on the trending page for a week now. Uh, well, there we go. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't even call it relatively unknown. I mean, I basically I didn't have a YouTube channel. I had an Instagram account where I had just some personal posts and stuff. I mean, I've done some business things. I, I've done a lot of behind-the-scenes sort of YouTube stuff as an investor or a partner in other YouTube channels. Um, but yeah, I, I always wanted to uh, do some a little bit more front-facing, kind of consumer-facing content. And finally, the lane sort of made sense in the documentary world, just given my background and the access I was able to uh, gain with some different people. And, uh, yeah, put out the boogie doc, did the trailer, and I think you guys were like the – it was a guy named Papa Gut did a reaction, and then you guys mentioned it because I was just searching, like, oh, boogie 298 trailer and just see whoever was talking about it. And you were, like, the second person to, like, even mention it on your show, so I listened to the episode. And, um, yeah, so it, it's been pretty uh, fun. It's been fun. It's been crazy. Um, you know, I've, I've done a lot of different things in business and vi in the video world, but nothing sort of quite like this where you're getting this amount of, you know, feedback, um, this quickly. So yeah. well, we got, uh, we got a lot of questions and stuff and such, mostly around at the making of it, uh, some personal, uh, things about, cause yeah. My my two co-hosts here, they, they grew up with Boogie. They're, they were yeah. very, very big fans of him. I relatively i knew about him but not too much uh so you guys want to ask the first couple of questions or not uh yeah sure uh ian i'll let you take the floor real quick uh all right uh one of the uh first things i wanted to ask you mike this is a bit of a uh a, a bit of a random one but one that really struck me what was your mindset like uh going with boogie to that uh psychedelic mushroom type place where boogie was taking him like were you just standing there with the camera like filming him what was going through your mind during that time because that was that part of the doc comes out of nowhere but it's it's incredibly interesting 
Uh, yeah, I mean, so we were filming and, you know, you want to end any video or project you're making with something, right? I mean, whether it's some type of conclusion, it's a story. So there's some type of story arc. And um, eventually we got to a point where um, uh, we, we it's kind of like in the documentary, it was called... Uh, part four last ditch effort we had tried different things i got him a trainer i got him a dietitian i got him um you know we did some other things to kind of see if maybe there's a change that could be happening in his life or some other way to sort of you know document something but we're kind of looking we were sitting sitting down and he was like yeah hey the shaman keeps hitting me up he's a friend of mine (laughs) uh locally like do you want to just i might i might you know go do some mushrooms i'm like dude let's let's definitely do that um so yeah i'll bring the camera (laughs) yeah absolutely so it just came together super randomly and it was kind of this last ditch effort type of thing and we went out we filmed it and like while i'm filming like this is like surreal like what am i doing with my life (laughs) yeah i mean just like a month ago i hadn't we didn't have i mean i had not been working on youtube videos i was I'm running like a, you know, a few different companies and um, now I'm like in the woods with Boogie 2988 and this shaman <laughs> with like ants, stomach cancer. Living yeah, the dream. Just, Living yeah, the dream. It was just, I was just so confused. <laughs> but I'm like, hey, sweet. Um, and then, yeah. So that that's really, uh, that's really kind of how that came together. And there was, uh, I remember because after justin reached out to you to do this i hadn't watched the documentary until you had basically said yeah sure guys uh, we can do the interview and they had already watched it i hadn't so uh i went over to justin's house to watch it over at his place and whenever it did that turn i was like oh oh he's about to be sacrificed this is a this is a fucking cult isn't it like holy shit <laughs> like this I, this is about to turn into a found footage film like yeah he... no i mean um yeah, it was a it was it was a crazy project for sure. Uh, uh, J- Justin, did you have a a question you wanted to go for? Oh yeah, yeah. So, um, as a fan of Boogie, well, as a former fan, I I do check in on him every once in a while. And this was when he was first starting to talk about the documentary and how you know you're working with him to, to make this happen. Um, a lot of people had feared that um Boogie would have some sort of influence on the final product. Which, thank God, he didn't. <laughs> but um, was there any point where, like, you were filming and Boogie was kind of like, "Listen, Mike, that shouldn't go in. Like, we should probably change that." Yeah, yeah. Like with all with how terrible it makes him look, I'm I'm also interested in that. Like, was there ever a time where Boogie, yeah, was like, "This cannot be seen by the world." No, not any. And that's that's what made him a great uh, collaborator. You know, I mean, for me, I. I have no incentive to do anything but have fun with this. There's no amount of money anyone pays me to do anything like this. I, I, I have other ways to make money. So the only reason I was going to do this was to make some cool shit. And, you know, I mean, I, I, I will respect certain aspects to maybe keep certain things off limits. That's fine. And also there's a lot of things that are also off limits and just don't add to the storyline that, you know. But um, that list was very small. You know, we didn't want to, like, you know, dive too heavily into his ex-wife or, you know, um, like, you know, his roommate, or there was just a few things that just, it, it, you know, you know, 
it, yeah. it's just there's no point um and then uh outside of those things we basically uh we're good to go and when i showed him the final film um because he had known everything we shot and i was telling him hey we're going to go get an interview with dr grande or you know a few other people and uh so he he there was no like surprise footage to uh um uh, yeah so but uh yeah no he was a great collaborator in that sense oh that's good uh I do remember one part of the documentary where it was just like, it was you driving back to location because you just put basically in plain text on the screen like I couldn't handle this shit anymore, I had to get out of there, and you said to the camera like, I don't want to be the guy whose channel is just this depressing shit all the time. Yeah. And then like there was a couple of comments saying like, hey, and. Uh, what you do in the future, or like, what about this YouTuber? What about that YouTuber? I, I'm, I felt genuinely sorry whenever I read this. It was like he said in the fucking documentary, dude. Like he doesn't want to be that guy. Like I, I guess. Well, you know, is, I mean, like anything, I, you know, we, you know, you, you know, you film and and you have fun with it. Was I being perhaps a little, you know, playing it up a little bit? Yeah, but yeah, that was sure. a that is, you know, and it it was representing. Uh, somewhat of a, a real concern um yeah sure i, I guess uh, but uh but 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 basically uh yeah i mean because like any youtube channel you put it up and um you know you you kind of people determine what you become so i mean this one i was like hey if this blows up then if i were to do another one that's kind of like documenting the downfall of someone now you're the guy that does that so i was thoughtful of that when i started this because i had hit up um uh so more or, or so many uh you know different people youtubers general internet sort of people general public figures i really wanted to start in the biopic realm and um you know boogie just happened to be the one that came together at that time uh the fastest and uh you know that was going to be the lane but it could have very well been like a, an athlete or some other type of thing that maybe got back to me quicker and you know uh, but but particularly doing something like this which was you know maybe more on the depressing slant there was there some concern but you know we, we you know it, it kept filming i think there's so many aspects of the film that are comedy and you know maybe even psychological and dramatic or you know mm -hmm. even in some case people refer to it as horror so yeah there was definitely a lot of entertainment uh, throughout it you did a very good job with the editing process everything else like the quick little one thing that we were talking about when we were watching it the first time is that you added a little thing for you of like loan from mike 1495 for taco bell it, was, it, it got a good laugh out of me at the time <laughs> yeah for sure and i mean naturally for me like before i produced this the majority of what i had produced is um comedy right we did mm -hmm. parody music videos or i did different um you know just comedy sketches like you do in high school early days of college yeah. with your friends so i was always into that and i um it was just so hard to find that format or lane that a comedy was going to be a thing so you know I, I always try to keep things light especially you know the problem the reality is like it's such a stupid topic you know this isn't a film about like global warming it's not a film about you know some big 
meaningful societal it's a film about a youtube guy that you know like people used to watch and now they don't watch as much it's not that serious and therefore i think you i want to remind people of that as many times as i can without like distracting from like a interesting message but sort of those whimsical fun comedic uh inserts is something that to me kind of reminds you you know the nature of this topic in general yeah yeah just keeping it entertaining and keeping it uh, as light-hearted and on the nose as possible with a a kind of like downfall-esque docu-series on this yeah for sure not not to mention the... like go, go, going through all of those like clips that you got at the end of just all of this unbelievably depressing energy like i would also want to put a few like light-hearted moments in there just so that people don't just get completely brought down by how much of an unbelievably sad like person he is it's just man i could i could not have spent the time that you did with that man mm-hmm. um there was pain yeah, no, behind I mean, that voice. He, is, he is a fun guy i mean ultimately like you know there were definitely depressing moments but yeah. it, it you kind of have to pull him out of those uh depressing you know because he, he'll kind of go on like a little rant to you and talk about how bad his life is and then if you just kind of give it some space let it sit out there and then you just bring up something else he'll get going on a cool topic right so he's he is a, yeah. a, a i would say someone that anyone could could be friends with and, and have a fun time with and he he really is what other people would call a good guy um it's just that he does also have this bent to, you know, self-deprecate and, and mm-hmm. you know, kind of go in those tirades. No. Yeah, that's actually pretty good to hear that he is, uh, like, a very kind of sit down and then go along with it kind of person. Mm-hmm. I, I think that part shows through very well uh, when uh, you go to the Magic the Gathering part and then you interview a couple of different people who were there. And they're all talking about, like, yeah, we've known Boogie for, like, a decade plus and like he's just he's our guy and that part i think added a, a nice level of multi-dimensionality to it where it didn't just feel like we were watching a doc about a villain you know like a real life villain like it added a, a good amount of complexity to it i thought oh yeah for sure and i you know like i i while it was very packaged as this sort of you know a kind of like hit piece it was in the packaging the, the reality is that um you know, you want to tell all angles and 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 help people understand that at some level, there's just guys out there that know him as a random dude and are friends with him. And he they, they get along well and they have, you know, solid relationships. So he's got a lot of friends. When I was down there in his small town, there's a ton of people that know him, texting, people wanting to come up. He's got that Saturday gatherings, people come up to his house. So, you know, I think um, it, it's not people want to paint him as this like evil, manipulative sort of guy. Um, I mean, he's just not it's just it's just not an accurate depiction. He is a guy that is quite nerdy, that has nerdy friends, and he also has a substantial amount of anxiety and has been very poor in ideating uh, a consistent content strategy that stays on message to video games and the things that he's interested in and and has been 
um, you know, unable to draw boundaries around the topics that he's going to talk about, and he'll get pulled into certain topics that will uh, expose his inability to think through um, the accuracy of what he's saying or different things. So, um, you know, the good news is the majority of us just aren't massive content creators with millions of people following us, right? So we don't get the opportunity to be seen in that light. But I bet if more people did, if everyone was that, there's a lot of people like Boogie. He's not this standout manipulator that was genius in in manipulating people. He just happened to get caught up in, um, you know, the the rise of a platform and uh, and didn't have the, 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 the right business management around him to help keep him away from uh you know saying and putting out certain things yeah what's it called uh, I, I know if i had like a highlight or like a constant limelight on my life i'd be like strung up and shot because uh hell when i called you earlier today i followed up by calling justin and justin's first thing when i said yeah we're we're good for like six o'clock tonight. And he said, Ron, you better not be fucking gaslighting me right now. This is not the time. Yeah. yeah. yeah no, Ryan has a history of gaslighting all of us. Man's a, man's oh, a master well. manipulator. He's, he could maybe, gaslight you know, Boogie. Maybe you should get some therapy. Um, <laughs> so we don't have to make the dark, sad life of Ryan in like five years. No, no. I'm, and, it's uh, a, actually a career incentive for me at this point. Oh, okay. <laughs> right. We'll keep the gaslighting up, and maybe we'll do be doing the film down the road. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'll keep you in mind. I'll get my agent contact you. Yeah, yeah. We'll make it. We'll work it out. We'll work it yeah. out. Yeah. Right. Uh, do you have any like areas that you want to shoot? Uh, I was thinking, like, I don't personally have a mortgage, but maybe I could get that so that we could throw that. Yeah, out of just the rack window. up some debt. Rack up a yeah. bunch of debt in the meantime. So good, good, good call on that. Good call on that. Yeah. Um. Uh. Yo, uh, Justin, you uh, haven't had an opportunity to expunge in a bit. Anything you want to say right now? Uh, let me dig through my little pockets of questions here. Uh, okay. So there's one part in the documentary that really caught my attention, and that was when, uh, you try to set up Boogie with that uh that interview to see how he would do in the actual workforce. Um, uh-huh. the moment that really caught my attention was after the fact when um. He sent you that that voice message, kind of saying, kind of stating that he doesn't want to get a real job. He's got four million subscribers. Why would he need to get a job? Whatever. The look in your face, like I need to know, like what emotions were going through. Like I'm not sure you're just pissed off or you just, I don't know. It looked like it looked like pure shame. Yeah, I mean you're you're um, it's a variety of things. I mean you're maybe frustrated, uh, but you know. A lot of it is just the logistics of um, the logistics of um, moving a project along. Right. I mean, you know, you have this like idea of like, okay, well, he's going to go get a job. We can get him a job, and then that will maybe be how the film will end. And then it's like, okay, well, now he's not going to do that. Now we gotta wait around and see what next will happen in his life that could be interesting. But the good news is, a few months later. Um, he started dating this 19 year old, 20 year old girl. And it's like, okay, well, there's some more content. So it, it all worked Can out. Can I be honest with you for one second? So I showed the documentary to my mother and when, when, when Desi kind of showed up to the scene, 
um, when <laughs> Boogie said something good happened in my life, you want you want to meet her? She le- uh-huh. she legit thought that Boogie was going to come out saying, "Yeah, I have an estranged daughter." Yeah, yeah, she definitely was... uh, could 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 have been the case. The age do allow for that. Yeah. And then when they start holding hands, I'm um, like, "No, mom, they're 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 dating." And she like the the yeah. sorrow and her the pain in her face kind of you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This is this is one this is the big thing that struck to me. The thing that uh probably stuck to me the most is something that I've been wanting to mention here is when I finished the documentary, I thought like the entire time that there's one like little piece of this missing and I couldn't figure out exactly what it was. The, I loved the whole documentary, but I needed I don't know, like I needed something to speak to me personally. And the last shot, I'm not exactly sure who that was, but um, it appeared to be like a YouTuber, and they were just like reacting, talking about uh, Boogie's old video back in the day. He was like, either reminiscing about it or when it j- first happened. He was like, "Yeah, it's so funny." Like he's playing League of Legends or whatever, and then he says, "Oh, I keep my Mountain Dew in the microwave," and um, that part really personally spoke spoke to me because my I can just I just have such excellent memories of being in like sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth grade, just with me and my friends. And at any opportunity, like, we'd be in class, and everything would be silent, and it just, one of my friends would, would be like, where are you, where are you hiding the Mountain Dew? And, and we just go on all these quotes about it, because it was just so relatable, and funny, and weird, and just knowing, seeing what he, like, became, and having him just become this maligned public figure, it felt like it was... It was like really taking away a part of these memories that just meant so much to me, and I think that you ca- uh, capture that really good at the end of the dog, just by acknowledging that regardless of what this person became, there was a time in which he truly just brought so much day-to-day comedy and joy into people's lives, just like me, just regular people. Yeah, man. I mean, the um, the uh, inclusion of that, I just was looking for different reactions of all his, cl- his old clips, right? We didn't go too much into Francis in the documentary because to me, it just, there wasn't, there wasn't, it didn't fit. Right. Mm-hmm. And also I'm trying okay, to make great. this 55. I'm trying to make it under, you know, right around an hour. I didn't want to mm-hmm. drag this into that hour and a half long length that, that mm-hmm. you see. Uh, so, you know, you had to pick and choose what you were going to kind of include in the story arc. We, you know, I threw some clips in it really early when he was kind of explaining that, you know, maybe a 15 second little sequence of what, who he was and what he was but um yeah i found that kid who was reacting and he dude just his laugh and the just the energy he was bringing and the way he was explaining the clip (laughs) it was very it was just very uh engaging and so i downloaded it and it it tied up perfectly with the music where he you know he like laughed and boom you hit the song and it was just good vibes speaking of which uh yeah, you, you you probably watched a, a ton of classic boogie to get some 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 footage for the uh, documentary. Was there ever like a really good classic boogie video that you liked a lot? I mean, not really. I mean, I had only been I've been aware of boogie enough. I think the one that I probably saw that I figured was real. Um. It was this. I think the smashing of the Xbox to me at the time seemed very real. Classic. Um, and then maybe the other smashing of the Xbox, where he like <laughs> also threw the the plushy toy at the camera. That one. Uh, but I literally didn't get onto YouTube until probably more in the twenty six 
2014-ish era. I think the first big YouTuber that I remember. Well, I had watched like Amazing Atheist. That was kind of the first uh, sort well, of YouTuber. A, that, that's a throwback, right? <laughs> yeah, Amazing Atheist. Um, shout out to him. He actually hit me up and he did a video on Boogie uh, on the dock. And then, um, then the next one I really got into probably was like um, I, I remember watching like Zay Frank there for a little bit. And then finally, really H three. H three was really the one that for me was like, oh, okay, this is this is the kind of the type of content I'm I'm kind of connecting with. And this was the H three H three productions. And then from that, I saw him on the H three podcast, and that's when I was like, oh, okay, that's that's who that guy is, right? So that was my first introduction, probably like 2017 or something like that. And I was still focused on my video production business, and I had started some other YouTube channels that you know, are still around today, but I was just kind of the behind the scenes on it. And, uh, I, and then the whole inspiration was this was seeing that, you know, ultimately that Sunny V2 video, uh, Boogie deserves his downfall. It got like whatever, 8 million views. And I'm sitting at this restaurant watching it. And I'm like, you know what? I'm, you know, I was trying to figure out what type of content I was going to make. And, um, you know, I was like, Oh, well, should I, should I do these kind of like, video reaction kind of like commentary videos and I'm like yeah i could do that but i i don't didn't feel like i had anything unique to add to the to the scene right i mean it was just like why then another sunny v2 channel right making you know s- some commentary about some guy so um yeah i was like well hey i have these cameras i've made all these documentaries and um for, for like corporations. So I, I just found, I looked at Boogie's email. I looked at, he wasn't getting a ton of, um, you know, subscribers also, or uh, followers or, or, or views. But the other thing is I, I also, most of my corporate business was reaching out to people. I mean, that's what we do. We send cold emails. And in particular, I had run a business for a while that was investing in YouTube channels. So I was very familiar with kind of the outreach process, how to get in touch with a, a, a sort of a public figure or, or some type of specific individual at an entity. And I, so I took that skill set combined with, you know, the years of video production uh, background. And then I observed that Sunny V2 and I kind of combined the three and said, hey, well, let's go reach out, get access. Because the one thing that, you know, you look at a Sunny V2 and obviously a, a very successful channel um, they don't have access to any, they don't have any actual exclusive access. Now they have speed to market in terms of their commentary, right? So if something's trending, they can boom, they can drop that the next day. They write it, you know, find this right screenshots, record the voiceover, add a music track, and throw put the animations together. You can move very quickly on that, but you don't have that exclusive access that maybe um, you would have on something you might see on a major streaming platform. So that was the thing that I was like, Hey, even if this costs me way more and I'm going to lose money on the project, at least this will stand out and we'll see, see if this business model at least has some feasibility. Um, and I question that a lot cause it's, I spent a lot of money making it, you know, you're shooting and you're flying around and this is not, you know, a quick little camcorder stuff. This is, you know, you're at tripods and lights and, stands and you know you're, you're really crafting and carving every shot every scene even if it ends up being a 15 second thing it still might be a whole day of shooting right so it's just a, in the back of your head you're like damn man i wish i could just 
record a voiceover and it just, you know, goes, gets a million views. So anyways, um, uh, but at that point I'm like, fuck it, I'm already this far in. So we put it out and, uh, you know, it seems like people, people like that type of in-depth quality. So absolutely not just that, but, uh, like when it comes to those, you said like uh, quick access to the market, like somebody just doing the voiceover and then quickly putting it out. There's also when it comes to that sort of setup, you have to worry about. Well, this is basically going to end up being like a first impressions of the thing, right? When you do that in depth nature of the doc that you did, you can get a lot more accuracy into it. You can get a lot. There's no like sort of emotional hit there. It's more. Just sticking to the facts and getting everything out, whereas channels that like to just do the voiceover and upload, sometimes it can get caught in controversy and end up having to retract a lot. So I think that your approach to things is not only obviously getting a lot of public traction, because I think you've hit 3 million views on the documentary at this point. Yeah, uh, it's at 3.1, so it's yeah. getting a, getting about 15,000 views an hour. Yeah, obviously... Still, and, uh, obviously uh, with like a boogie documentary it's not going to be like oh I'm caught in a controversy but uh, when it comes to other forms of content in the area when they're making something like that uh, it could end up like backfiring a lot which I think that your setup at least has a certain level of uh, protections against well there's a built in uh, cost and timeline to it right it's probably if you went as fast as possible, maybe you're putting out a documentary in three, four months, but more likely six to nine months, more likely 12 months, right? Um, nine, you know, nine to 12 months, just because it, especially I, this is not the only thing I do. So, yeah. and it's not even within this, it's not the only documentary I'm working on. Like I, I, I had shot probably three or four more um, sort of back, you know, in the process of, of doing both. So, um, you know, it's like, you go shoot something and you get into post-production on boogie and then you stop post-production and you're filming something else. It's, it, it, it does. If you want to have like a process, you're not going to go make a film stop and then start your next film after the first one's done. Cause there's yeah. a lot of different flows and things you can be doing at the same time. So um, yeah, I mean, it's a risk. It's definitely a risk. Like I, I could have put this out and it could have got 50 K views. It just didn't have the, the right, um, the, the right timing and topic and editing style and whatever, but it did work. And that's a cool data point. I think, um, yeah, you're going to try it again. I mean, I, I will it hit the same sort of stride as boogie. I don't think so. This one I think has a certain X factor, but you know, at least now you have a, a for me, at least you got a little bit of a, a baseline subscriber base and you can try to put out something really good again and, and see if you can engage the people that watched the first one while getting new traction on, on the next topic that may be a little bit different. Justin, you're working on, uh, or at least starting up your little thing on uh, your documentary, aren't you? Cause you said you were going to be, you showed us like the little three minute introduction thing that looked pretty good. Uh, you have, you want to ask him for any like tips on it or anything? Uh, we'll see. I don't have the money to spend on a documentary right now, good sir. So, um, I would have a lot of risk and only risk. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, you know, you can make, when I say cost for me, most of that, you know, I'm talking about travel and different things. I'd encourage you, you know, you can, 
documentary is a really good format as long as you have some of the fixed costs like the editing editing software and maybe a camera there's documentaries you can make for essentially zero dollars the other reason this costs money is like i had to fly to him and i did bring someone else i, I didn't have to but i did bring like an assistant and a second cam and you know you get a week worth of hotels and a week work of two rental cars and maybe you rent some lenses i mean you end up spending money you know, you spend ten, twenty thousand dollars just on, on those types of things. Um, but you know, if you have the topic that's local to you, and you have those, you have the equipment. And when you say equipment, you could literally shoot a documentary on your iPhone, um, and you have the editing software. I, you know, I wouldn't put a put it past you to to be able to make it for close to nothing. Well, I mean, when it comes to camera equipment, I I do have a a Sony DSLR that has a super 35 millimeter sensor on it but other than that like the documentary i want to work on is on televangelists because it's a top of the hits home for me personally because you know you, you come from the church you, you you live by the bible and then you kind of get crushed down when you see these televangelists actually ruining people's lives yeah these, mm -hmm. these people these people on tv who are like if you if you really believe in jesus you'll send in four hundred dollars today and uh justin's uh, just yep. always really hated those people he's been really interested in trying to get that uh started especially uh yeah. one particular one that says hey i'll, I'll uh, pray for your cancer to go away don't take any more chemotherapy the cancer's gone mm -hmm. and two months later they're dead yeah well i would if i'm you i you know try to um focus on stuff you can do locally find um some things or you know do zoom, zoom interviews you know Put out some Craigslist posts. That's a, actually a good place to kind of find a lot of consumer people that have, you know, like, hey, have you spent money on a televangelist? And, you know, people will text you. People will reply. And you really just have to get your first shoot underway. And then once you have that first set of footage, like, okay, well, I've got something to work off of. I got a good interview with this person. Let me go find another one. And, you know, if you just stay in motion, um, and stay filming, and you don't have to refilm some things. Like, oh, I got that interview, you know, but I was out of focus because I suck at shooting. I'm going to try it again. So all those things are going to happen. You just kind of have to stay in motion. And that's why so many documentary projects just don't really get out because, you know, people get so in their head about it and, you know, versus just staying in motion. And the other thing about documentaries, you know, the footage for Boogie was, it was good. But so much of it was not actually that good. Uh, it's just when you get more and more and more and more and more footage, it um, allows you to, uh, you know, move between scenes so quickly. So that's another thing I'd recommend is just always stay in motion, just get more and more and more and more footage so that when you're in the edit process, you just have so much option to keep the, keep the edit moving. You did. You mentioned a bit earlier that uh, H three was the one that uh, really like hit home for you. Whenever you got that interview with Ethan scheduled, was that like, uh, were you a little bit excited about that one particularly, or is it just kind of like? Uh... Yeah, that was that was definitely cool. I mean, I've worked, I've done so much work with different large YouTubers or public figures or business people. You know, I'm so I'm thirty, so I, I I'm sure if I would have done that when I was 22 23 i'd have been like oh my god but um you know now you kind of learn that once you meet anybody they're just kind of like a they're every, 
every YouTuber I've ever met is trying to figure out how to do their show. They don't know how, right? I mean, they, they got yeah. a little understanding, but everybody, um, everybody's trying to figure it out. Like I've, I've talked to channels that are five, 10 million. I, I'm texting a guy right now that has 10 million subscribers and he doesn't, he's, got, he's trying to figure out a new format and he's getting rid of his format and he has, is lost and he's both, he's setting me, you know, or brainstorming different ideas for his, the, the new format of his show. He's, he's got 10 million subscribers, one of the biggest YouTubers out there. So it's like everybody, whether it's, you know, somebody like age three or whatever, you meet them, um, you know, it just happens to be, they, you know, have a lot of, you know, existing followers or whatever, but you, you do learn that we're all figuring out whether you got 10, hundred thousand, a million subscribers every day on YouTube is a brand new day because subscribers really don't mean anything. You know, it, it's good. Can you can make good content with a good format that people go check back at that YouTube will recommend it. But everybody's a few weeks away from having no views because if you put out bad content, YouTube doesn't, you know, they're not going to help you out. Didn't really have to. For a second there, I was like, man, he really snuck in the trench and just put us on blast there <laughs> randomly. He's like, yeah, I, te- I talked to a lot of YouTubers. They don't know what the fuck they're doing. <laughs> like, wow. Okay. Thanks. Oh, yeah. No, nobody, I mean, nobody really does. I mean, he, some people, they have like, hey, this is what's working for me now and let me just stay focused here. But, you know, they're, they're all, they're all stressed. <laughs> they're all trying to figure it out. I mean, I got, I know one of my, you know, good friends and uh, a business partner at a time, 4 million subscribers. Um, you know, you talk to him, he, he's grinding his ass off trying to figure out how to make it work. Because you get 4 million subscribers, but you're only going to pull two, 300,000 views, right? So it's like, all right, well, how do you get up to five, 600,000? You know, wh- where's that viewer engagement dropping off? And then you, you got obviously Mr. Beast. Um, and, you know, there's a guy getting 100 million views. And, you know, he's trying to master the platform, but even him, he's, 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 he's stressed out. I mean, the amount of expense he has comparative to the video views, you know, is, yeah. um, so that, that's one thing with, I said, when you mentioned I'm like going on the H3 channel, it's like, all right, obviously very cool. Cause I had, I had spent so much time in my mid twenties, maybe watching that podcast here and there, yeah. but um, you know, you kind of learn that it's all just a business, right? And in many ways, a lot of these YouTubers, it's a small business. I mean, you're talking like, you know, the same amount of money or structure that you would find in a, an average mark, uh, con, uh, con, construction company in the Midwest. And would I be super nervous to meet that owner? Not necessarily. It just happens to be in the case of maybe a YouTube channel that that money is coming from a, a component of fame or audience when, you know, the construction company, nobody knows that guy, but he's, he still has the same amount of financial bandwidth. So, I mean, once you kind of, think of it in that case too you know everybody's kind of you know we're just running our own business and and trying to trying to grow and um we all have the same problem we're trying to make our content better we're trying to figure out what the next video is um there really isn't unless you're like bill gates um there isn't that it's it's good to know that the stress never really ends (laughs) yeah yeah i mean well i mean once you're bill gates and you own like you know, or Warren Buffett, and you own like basically the essence. You own America, or what, like a, a fifth, one five percent of America, or something. You know, the, the, you know. But even then, they're stressed. They're trying to make investments and grow and not collapse their stuff. So, um, yeah, you do. You get. You do get used to talking to more 
uh, prominent individuals with a, a, a less of a nerves and whatever. But is there? And I know we were talking about like the documentary and such, but this uh, like backside of YouTube thing has actually interested me quite a bit. Is there anybody that you've worked with in the past that you consider to be like underrated for their size or whatever the hell? Obviously, you know, besides us here at the Anti Think Tank, who deserve <laughs> each and everything given to us. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Yeah, you're innovators. You actually. Listen, we're the ones who went, thought up. Well, listen, guys everyone went to video. You guys are like, "Fuck that! We're gonna we're gonna do an audio podcast." You know, no, we nobody wants to see each other. Nobody wants anyway. to see video. Nobody wants to see video. Is a thing of the past. But listen, I'm uh, trying. No, I think. Um, <laughs> yeah, you'll get, you'll get yes, you'll get there one day. Just just keep it up. I think you can figure it out. You know, watch some tutorial videos. Read an article <laughs> too, you know. But um. The um, underrated, I mean, there's all niches, right? I mean, like, you know, like Mr. Beast, obviously amazing creator, but and he's making content that's relatable to basically anybody that likes looking at cool, interesting stunts and, and different things. And then you got, like, a great creator in the cooking space or a great creator in, like, the, um, you know, yarn, you know, knitting space and there's probably like i don't know who they are but they're i'm sure there's the number one knitting content creator that's probably has like hundred thousand subscribers and they're like the the the, the mr beast of that world so um anyways um with that said i would say my favorite creators tend to be um kind of more of the performance artists of the world that like that they're unintentionally making good content in some sense you know um so uh, i wouldn't i wouldn't mention any of them but they're kind of secret also i do i do follow um i do follow a lot of uh random businesses channels and i love watching like random small corporations try to make youtube content and it just is always the cringiest um, oh, stuff Particularly a lot of, my, uh, there's a lot of video production, because I own this video production company, there's a lot of like, you know, my competitive video production companies mm. that they want, they make this, they make content trying to like market their business, but also trying to make, you know, whatever. And it's so cringe and it, they have like maybe eight subscribers. I just watch every video and it's great. <laughs> Hello fellow children type content. Well, no, not even that. It's just that like they're trying to be. Yeah, they're just trying to make videos to get customers, and as a like a corporate business, it's so hard. And so the the the, the level of the quality or those different things, and like you know the formats, they'll do kind of like interviews. Like I know people that will do one on one kind of like between two fern interviews, but like in not as a not ironic, right? They're doing like these interviews with someone that's like prominent in that industry, and like it's gonna get forty views, and just the way they're talking and how serious so i don't know i enjoy a lot of just random uh kind of off the grid you know anti-comedy ironic sort of uh types of things look dude i get you cringe shit is my lifeblood too <laughs> yep it fuels absolutely. us all absolutely um, i am uh looking uh through here uh justin did you have uh any you had uh I mean, I, I just remember you said you had a couple of uh, questions. Did you go through all of them, or did you have any uh, other ones you wanted to get out there? Uh, 
I'll let you uh, finish up yours, and I'll be thinking of some. How is... Uh, I know we were talking about how, uh, like, it's been, I imagine, fairly exciting seeing it blow up like that, but expectation-wise, I know you were saying that it was you felt it was going to be a big risk going with this format and that you were worried about making the money back, but now that it's... Is it, is it more of a relief, or is it more like, okay... Doing the oh no! I don't. I didn't care about making my money back. I don't. I probably won't ah. make my money back. Um, to me, that you know, I I do, I do this for fun, and um, it's not really necessarily a business. Although I I work on it like it is. It it really more is like for me a self expression of, of skill and talent and, and just having some fun. Uh, but yeah, I'll probably keep losing money on these things. I mean, I don't care. That's why you do other things. You make money and. You can allocate that to things. Um, you know, the best art has got to be stuff that, you know, it's like you, you're pursuing it to be as best as it can be. It's not really a a business. I mean, it is. You know, you probably end up making money at some level. But, you know, if you lose, you know, a certain percent of your money at some point, what, what difference does it make? Art at some level is the peak um, expression of humanity and what is 20% more cash in my bank if that 20% decrease could yield you know millions of people enjoying something that you made it's 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 100% worth it that, 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 so I, I have very little concern I mean, I'm not going to spend all my money um, on this but you know if I'm if my net worth is worth 10 20 even 30% less because I want to make uh, high-end documentaries for YouTube with very little to monetization who cares I, I truly have a lot of uh, respect for that mindset. I mean, I obviously like money's important. It's good. It's good to uh, good to like pursue that and be able to build yourself in the world. But ultimately, there is something indescribable about the thrill of creation and knowing that your creation will last like long after you're gone. Stuff like that. Because I mean, it's just it's just incredible. I'm very happy that you found something that's like working for you. And and uh, obviously, like you said, you think that maybe this one had a certain X factor, but I think that with this one getting your name out, out there, there's a, there's a good chance that uh, no matter what you do in the future, you've already got a built-in audience. I know you've got us three. Whoever you uh, decide to do a doc on next will definitely be there to, to, to watch. Sweet. Well, I appreciate that, guys. And uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of components. I mean, the, the, the access you get or who it's about and, and how big the ecosystem is for discussion around that person or topic is, is a big factor. I mean, if I would have made this about, you know, the city I live in, the suburb of the city of that I live in, it's going to be like, you know, it's a good documentary, but it's probably going to get maybe a thousand views. I mean, it's like, who's going to watch a documentary about some, some random suburb unless there's some like really salacious thing. So Selecting the topic to me, it just seems like such a valuable, important thing, and and being careful what you put this firepower behind because it takes so long. So I did get, you know, you got you got lucky, and 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 I, if nothing else, you chose correctly with Boogie. Now you just gotta make sure that you're, you know, picking and choosing accurately, and you know, if the next one gets half the views or one fifth of views, who cares? You just come back and. And learn from that um but, but certainly that'll happen i mean I, I hope people don't expect you know another boogie necessarily there were yeah. so many factors that caused that he started dating this girl i mean if that hadn't happened like it would have been half the entertainment so but you know you uh 
I do think the next one I have in the pipes still very compelling and also really hoping this opens up a lot of interesting opportunities too, you know, um, and I can send this around to people and say, Hey, here's a, here is, um, here's a film I made. You want to do something uh, in this vein? Speaking of uh, what's in the pipeline, I have a question. So do you have like a list of, it doesn't have to be other YouTubers. It could be, you know, the topic, but do you have like a list of like what you have planned out next to do? Uh, oh yeah, I've got a list. I mean, I've got one in the edit. Um, I've got one in edit now. Um, and then I've got a few others that will maybe go on some other people's channels. Um, just sort of more as like micro docs or, or, you know, a little bit shorter type stuff. Um, so those, those are coming through and then not, yeah, I'm trying to get, I've got a list of people I'm outreaching to, right? So it's probably a list of maybe 20. And, um, but that list started at like 300. And then after you do boogie and you got that, you know, like it, it narrows up, like who would be worth doing? I mean, my goal was to get 200,000 views and then do the next one and maybe get 300,000 and the next one and maybe get, you know, just built. But then, you know, you, this thing could very well get five to 10 million views by the end of the year. And, uh, it, it definitely, if you want to follow up to that, you definitely, it's not like there's infinite, necessarily infinite topics. So I do have a list and I'm, I'm going at them. Hey man, in three years, whenever they, whenever the internet inevitably wants to kill me, you know, there's always that downfall video. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so you'll, you're on the list too. I can't yeah. wait. I can't wait until you fly me and Justin out. And it's like, oh, so how did you guys know what Ryan was like? Was he normal? And me and Justin just look at the camera. No, 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 he wasn't. No, he was always, he was always an asshole. <laughs> Love that. All right, guys. Well, I really appreciate you having me on. This is super fun. And, um, you know, keep it up with the podcast. You know, you guys were the uh the first podcast i saw even talking about the trailer back when the trailer only had you know thousands of views and this was three weeks before the film even went live so i, I appreciate your coverage and it, it was really cool even like you know, I, I maybe had i think at the time i had i mean i was i got six i had 600 subscribers because i posted the trailer and i got maybe 600 subscribers and i saw your guys thing i'm like oh that's cool someone's talking about me saying my name so <laughs> it was it was really cool, and um, I'll always appreciate that. And you guys keep it up, and um, you know I'm sure you guys got a bright future ahead of you as well. And I, I encourage you to move on that documentary. That's a cool topic, and um, you know keep it up. And I appreciate you having me on. Have a good night, man. All thank right, you, thanks, guys. Thank you, thank you so much, man. Thank you so much. All right, have a good one. You too.